So I heard that just before the Buddha died, his last words were, be a light unto yourself. Be a light unto yourself. His last dying words. He's inviting us to find the source of energy inside yourself. Be your own son. Be, be your own creator. I've been talking the last, uh, especially last night, but the last couple of nights about the illusion of self, the appearance that you that you are a person, a separate mind inside a private, separate body, and one of the key, one of the keys to notice, one of the most um, significant things to notice about that thing that you call yourself is that it doesn't have its own source of energy. It requires attention from other people. It can't live without attention from other people. Just notice that. I spoke about it the first night of the retreat, the significance of going into silence, the significance of no eye contact, no verbal communication with other people, is you're starving your ego. And you're, you're most likely noticing it by now. You're starving your ego, and it's not happy. <laughs> doesn't like to be starved. Notice as you go through your day here on this retreat how you're wanting to be noticed. It may not be such a conscious, hey, look at me, notice me. But you're doing things as if people were watching you. Your habit is to perform, is to get attention comes with the paradigm of, of thinking that you're a self a separate self you don't the self doesn't have its own source so it has to get it from other people watch yourself on this retreat notice how and maybe you can tell the difference when you're free from that and when you're caught in that it's a big difference and my guess is that most of the time you're you're caught in it most of the time whether you're aware of it or not you're acting as though people are paying attention to you, and not only that, but evaluating you. You're performing. You're living your life as a, as a performance. When, when you're free from that, and there may be moments, and there may be long moments on this retreat where you're free from that. It, doesn't, it really doesn't matter <laughs> what other people think of you. It's a, it's a lovely, wonderful freedom. It's a beautiful, beautiful freedom. It's also as I've been saying, really disorienting. It can be troubling, uncomfortable, but it's something to pay attention to. It's what the practice is teaching you to do. Be a light unto yourself. Watch yourself. Pay attention to yourself. This habit of self requires that you get other people's attention. Its survival depends on that. And that translates for a lot of us as, as living life like a performance. And it's you know, we, we tend to come down on two sides of that. We either start to want to, you know, we end up really orienting ourselves to please people, to get people's approval. We want, uh, we want validation from other people, and, and we get good at that, right? And some of the time, that's the, that's the way we play it. Try to be good. We try to get it right. We try to get approval, especially people that we think matter, right? Our parents, our our authority figures, someone that we respect, perhaps, but more likely someone that we, that we think has power and authority. 
Do we live our lives looking for their approval, wanting their recognition, needing it? The ego needs it. Your ego requires it. Can't live without it. Does not know how to self-reference. That's the nature of that illusory self. It doesn't have a... It's not real. <laughs> it doesn't have a basis. It can't... It can't acknowledge itself. So you're stuck when you're in that paradigm thinking that you're this person, when you're trying to be somebody, as I talked about last night, you're really caught in an impossible situation where the only way you could be somebody is to have other people trying to be somebody recognize you. And we, we're all going around looking for that recognition all the time. In the classes I teach here at Sky Meadow and some uh, workshops here and elsewhere, I teach something called conscious communication. A lot of you know what that is. And, and one of the core ideas is that we're all looking for attention all the time. All of our conversations, everyone's trying to get attention. And it doesn't work because we can't all get it at once. It's not going to work that way. So you feel if you're playing it like, I, you know, I want, I'm going to be good. I'm going to, I'm going to do things to get people's attention. I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to be the healer. I'm going to be the savior. I'm going to, I'm going to do really good things. So people will like me. They'll pay attention to me. I want to be liked. I want to be paid attention to. That's one way of feeding that, that separate idea of a self. And the other side of that coin, the other, the other um, way that we play it is we get, because it's a burden, it's this huge burden. It's an enormous amount of energy that you put into getting other people's approval. And, and all the while you feel helpless and powerless. They've got the power, you don't. They can approve of you or disapprove of you, and your life is in their hands. You've outsourced your power. Be a light unto yourself. Don't outsource your power. You've, the, when you're in the ego, when you're in the self, when you're thinking of yourself as a self, which is your norm, your default, you've outsourced your power. Everyone else has it but you. And it's a, it's a terrible position to be in, and you hate it. It's confining, it's, um, it's, it just engenders this horrible feeling of being trapped, beholden to other people. It's not, it's not comfortable, and it's not fun, and we all hate it. So sometimes we land on the other side of it, and we get really tough, right? And we say, I don't care what other people think of me. To hell with them. Who cares? I'm going to do whatever I want. That's not freedom. That's deciding that you don't, that you're not going to play the game even though you still require other people's attention. <laughs> you haven't given up the need. You haven't given up the self. You've just, you've just hardened yourself and you've gotten tough. And you, and you say, I don't need you. I don't need anybody's approval. And it looks like you're free, but you're not. Because you still do need other people's approval. You're still identifying as a self. Be a light unto yourself does not mean be an island, right? That tough, I can do it by myself, I don't need anybody, I don't need anybody's approval, that's an island, and that's not, that's not the way out. Notice that the toughest among us are often those of us that end up in, in prison. You know, we, 
we decide we're going to play rough some way and we and end up in jail inevitably at some point. And what's the worst thing that can happen in prison? There's probably a whole lot of bad things that can happen in there, but what I've heard and I don't know from firsthand experience is that solitary, solitary confinement. The worst thing that can happen in prison is you put me in a room by myself for days and days and days. No attention. So that tough person who probably at some point thought, I don't need anybody, brought to their knees by days of no nobody to pay attention to them. That's why it's, it's used to control people in prison as a threat. You, you don't watch out, you're going to go into solitary. And it's the worst thing that can happen. There's a movie, Castaway, Tom Hanks plays a guy that crashes in an airplane, ends up on a, on a remote island all by himself. It's a fun movie, interesting psychology to watch it and he what's the most unbearable thing for him that there's nobody to pay attention to him his ego can't handle it so he takes a he has some things with him that land that came out of the airplane it was a uh, i think it was a ups airplane so it's packages of miscellaneous things that are going to different people and one of them i think is a volleyball and he takes and he another one has magic markers in it so he takes a magic marker some of you might remember this and he draws a face on the volleyball and, and the volleyball was made by Wilson, so it says Wilson on it. So he calls it Wilson. And everywhere he goes, he's got Wilson. And he starts talking to Wilson. You remember that? He, he's, that's his way of keeping himself from going crazy. He needed something outside of him to look at him, to notice him. And there wasn't anything, so he made it. He made it up. That's how dependent we are when we're in that state. And it's not your natural state, and it's not comfortable. It's not tolerable to be dependent on other people's attention like that. In the in the many of the Eastern spiritual traditions, such as the Buddhist tradition that this teaching that I'm giving you is rooted in, um, there's a long tradition in, in solitude, solitary, on intentionally, with support, not as a punishment. <laughs> and you're experiencing a form of it right here. That's why this form was developed, because it's one of the hardest things people can do is to, is to remove yourself from other people's attention. Very uncomfortable. So we're doing it here with hopefully a lot of support and a lot of intention, because it's the best way to outgrow that need. It's the best way to outgrow your image of yourself, to shed that image of yourself, starve it, just starve it to death. That's what you're doing. And in this tradition, this is considered a short retreat. In the insight Vipassana tradition, a long retreat would be three months. In the Tibetan tradition, they have you know really intense retreats, three-year retreats. In the Tibetan tradition, there's a tradition of, of sealing someone up in a cave. Not just going in a cave, but walling them in <laughs> and with a little door for food. And people spend long periods of time in there. And the whole idea is that eventually it's going to die. The self, the image of yourself is going to die because it's going to starve to death. It's not getting any attention. So it's very intentional, this practice, to free you from that. And what you can, how you can work with it on a retreat like this is just notice that you're still not free of it. That how, how many times during the day are you actually just doing something for yourself and not thinking at all about anybody else and what they think of you. 
And if you pay attention, you'll see that it's still rare, even though you've been at this for a couple days now, and there's nobody paying attention to you. Nobody's watching you. Nobody cares what you do, as long as you don't hurt anybody else. And that's really hard. It's hard to, it's hard to live that way. It's hard to get used to that. So notice when you are acting freely and when you're pretending, when there's a pretense, when you're performing, see if you can tell the difference. Giving up wanting other people's attention is unknown territory. I keep describing to you that you're to do this journey, you get to an edge and you can't know what's over that edge. There's no way to know. You just, you just have to finally just <laughs> push yourself off the edge or step off the edge or fall off the edge or whatever, you know, whatever image works for you. But you, there's, you get to edges here that you, there's no way you can know what's beyond it. You don't know what, you don't know what living in a body on earth is like without needing other people's attention. So it's scary. It's unsettling. The promise of this teaching is that it's freedom. It's the freedom that you're longing for. You, you, we, we, you know, it's so easy to mistake freedom for being able to go wherever you want and do whatever you want and have as much money as you want and eat as much food as you want and have as much enjoyment as you want. We think of freedom, especially in our culture, in our Western culture, as, as being able to do whatever you want. But that's not freedom. That's just indulging the self and it just it just wraps it tight. It just wraps that whole idea of a little individual private self. It just wraps it up tighter. Freedom is when you don't you don't need other people's approval. You don't need their recognition. And it's not because you you're tough and you say I don't care. It's because you're getting it from yourself. You're becoming a light unto yourself. You're, the light inside you is starting to shine and you can feel it. You're your own sun. You're, you become your own source. Being dependent on other people's approval is one of the worst forms of confinement. It, it totally limits your creativity. It completely shuts you down. You end up, and I think we can all feel this, just really scared to take any risks or do anything creative because what will they say? What will they think? What will they think of me then? So you end up, you know, torn between wanting to express yourself, wanting to be yourself, wanting to just be free and just do your thing and being terrified of what, what other people are going to think or whether you're going to not, you know, do it wrong and, and risk other people's approval. Instead of their approval, get their criticism. That's the worst thing that can happen to an ego. So you, you end up shutting yourself down and trying to play small so that you don't get, you don't get anybody upset, right? And, and in doing so, you're not happy. You're not happy because you're not fulfilling your purpose. You're not, you're not following your calling. You're not... You're not thriving, right? And I'm, I'm, you know, laying this out as if you're completely one way or the other. My guess is at this point, you're all exploring this and you've experienced both of these things. So I'm just painting a contrast for you. The main thing to know when you're, when you're on a path of awakening is to know the difference 
That's the main thing you need to know. When you're free from wanting other people's approval and when you're not, just feel the difference. You're going to go back and forth and back and forth. And just be able to tell the difference because then you can, you can do something about it. When you're in the place where you're just, you know, you can feel you, that need for other people's approval and, and you're putting on a show and you just feel how yucky it feels. You're pretending. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're playing a game. You're, you're performing. Life is not a performance and neither is it a rehearsal for a performance. <laughs> you're either performing or you're rehearsing your performance in your mind. Life is improvisation. And the best way to be to do improv is you, you have to not care what other people think for a moment. Right? You have to you have to step outside that. And not by being tough and saying, I don't care what people think, by just letting it go. Letting the self-image go. Just be, and the way you do that is this practice will, will take you there every time. Just be with your breath. Just find a sensation and focus on the sensation. And all the rest of it goes away at that moment. All the self-consciousness, all the needing other people's approval, it just, it's gone. And that's, that's freedom. And then you can be yourself. So put yourself in my shoes for a minute. You, Imagine yourself sitting up here in front of a group of people, giving a talk without a script. I'm not reading from a piece of paper. You know, and all my lights get lit up. All my ego lights get lit up. What are they going to think of me? Am I, am I going to be, am I going to, am I going to do a good job? Is this going to be a good talk? Is this entertaining enough? Is it, is it deep enough? Is it profound enough? You know, all that stuff comes up for me. And the only thing is that I've just been doing the practice long enough that I just see see it as thoughts and let it go. I'm not saying that I'm always able to do that. But that's that's the practice. The only, the only way I know if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing is if it feels good to me. The only way I know if I'm if my teaching is right on is if I'm learning from it. How else would I know? And it's the same for you. The only way that you can tell when you're, when you're in the groove, when you're in the flow, is when it feels good. You, you learn to feel it from inside, not think about what other people think. And that's a big shift. So here on retreat, that's what you can practice. I suggested it the first night, especially during the periods when there's no schedule, no expectations. There's nothing that you're supposed to be doing after lunch or tonight after the talk before you go to bed. That's when you can tune into yourself and ask, what, what would feel good to me? What do I want to do with this time? What would feel good to me? Not what's going to get my uh, other people to think highly of me or approve of me or recognize me, but what would feel good to me? Here on retreat, you have a great opportunity to, to make choices based on that because nobody's paying attention to you here nobody's watching you you're on your own you're really on your own so do what feels good to you when there's when there's moments of decision 
and you can free time in the schedule, openings in the schedule. Feel it. Feel it from the inside. And that can, that can carry out into your life. And you start to be able to feel what feels good to you, and you trust that. And that's the only, that's the only real true indication that you'll ever have, that you're, that you're okay, that you're doing okay, is that it feels right. And you have to be present for that. You can't, it's, not a, it's not something you can set up ahead of time. You can't schedule it. You can't plan it. You've got to be there and feel it. And if it doesn't feel right, then change it happens all the time. You think something is going to feel right and you get into it and you realize it's, this doesn't feel right, then you change it. You're present, you're in charge, you change it. You're not trying to fit into an idea, your idea or anybody else's idea. You're present in the moment and you're feeling it out each step of the way. And that's what this practice teaches you to do. Just stay with this breath. Feel this breath. That's all. Feel this step. That's all. Don't get ahead of yourself. And that teaches you to be that way in life. And that will serve you. That will free you from living according to other people's expectations, which is a prison. It's a, it's a terrible confinement. You just want to explode. You just want to break out. <laughs> you just want to, you know, you just want to rebel feels so confining in there. So just notice where that, where that confinement's coming from. It's coming from the self that requires other people's approval for its energy. It's that paradigm that you're caught in and it's not serving you. So this is a practice, meditation and, and the teachings of the Buddha are, are medicines, tools, practices that you turn to when you want to get to the root, when you want to get to the bottom of it. My, my, the one thing I knew when I, before I found this practice, when my life was falling apart and I just felt like, it just felt like I was in quicksand. It was just, I couldn't find my footing. And I was really frustrated and, and discouraged. And my one request was, I just want to get to the bottom of this. And I'm not going to stop until I get to the bottom of this. I, I want to find something real, something that doesn't move, something that's solid that I can count on. I want to get to the bottom of this. And when you want to get to the bottom of it, these are good practices. So we do a lot of gardening here, and I'm guessing some of you might have worked in a garden before. And when you go out to a garden... In the summertime, one of the main, main things you end up doing is weeding. You don't weed your garden, you end up with a garden full of weeds and not much to show for your efforts. So you go out and weed your garden, and it's very tempting when you're weeding, especially if you're, if you're, not, if you're new at gardening and, or you're feeling rushed or you just want to sort of get through it quickly, it's just, you just rip off the top of the weeds. You pull a weed and it breaks off and great, it's gone. And you can weed your whole garden that way and it can look nice. Make your garden look really nice. You won't see any of the weeds because you just broke them all off. But within days, they're all back again. And then you have to do it all again. 
And then a few days later, they're all back again. And all you're doing is you're just ripping off the tops. You're not getting the roots. It takes longer to get the roots. It takes more effort to get the roots. You have to dig. The roots are down there. They're deep. They're, they're, they're securely fastened to the soil. They don't come up easily. And anybody that's done any gardening, that, that's just the most basic thing that you learn. You, you start weeding and you just ripping away at the weeds and then you didn't get the roots. So a few days later, you have to do it all over again. And that's how, that's how most of us are living our lives. We're dealing with the symptoms, pulling the tops of the weeds. We're making our life look good, but we're not getting to the cause. We're not getting to the root. And so the weeds, the issues, the problems in our life just come right back. Same deal. And now you got to deal with it again. And that's exhausting. Think about weeding a garden like that. It gets really exhausting. And, and finally, you just say, all right, I'm going to go get the roots. I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to get the roots. And after you've gardened for some years, you know you got to get the roots doesn't do any good to weed without getting the roots. There's no point in it. Because this illusion of self, this appearance of self is so convincing, so absolutely convincing, just like our ancestors were completely convinced for millennia that the earth was flat and the heavens were above. This idea of you as a self, as a personality, a persona, is so convincing that you just never think to question it. It never even occurs to you that that could be the problem. So what, so what you end up doing is dealing with all the symptoms of having a self and trying to manage those. <laughs> You know, one one thing about the ego, the self, is that it gets out of it can get out of hand, right? It can do really destructive things. You all see that about yourself. You you see that about your ego. If I don't if I don't keep this thing under control, it's gonna hurt somebody. Right? It's gonna do some bad stuff if I don't contain it, if I don't keep this this ego under control, it's it's, it's gonna do some damage. So we, we, one way we approach, you know, living our lives is we, we make, we try to have the ego have a small footprint. <laughs> I'll just have a little ego. <laughs> i just have my ego have a small footprint so it doesn't hurt too many people. It doesn't consume too many resources. It doesn't, um, it doesn't control too many other people or too many other situations. We try, so a lot of us are shrink, you know, trying to shrink our ego down and we think that's, how to do it. We think that's going to solve the problem. We have things like values and morals and, and rules for keep, you know, keeping the ego in check. But it's not, it's not sustainable. It doesn't solve the problem. That, what ends up happening is you just, you just feel like you're putting yourself in a shoebox. <laughs> You just feel all bound up and tight and, and constricted because that's what you're doing. You're, you're trying to keep it contained. And it's hard work and it, and it leaks out, doesn't it? <laughs> it 
your ego just pops out all of a sudden and whack, you know, just whack somebody. You don't mean to, it's not your intention, but boom, there it goes. And so keeping it contained is, is a lot of work. And it's, it's exhausting you. It's like weeding the garden by pulling the tops. It's going to wear you out. It's going to wear you down. It's why, it's why life can feel so overwhelming and exhausting. To the self, this, this illusion of a self, there's never enough. Just think about that for a minute. It doesn't have its own foundation. It doesn't have its own source. It's, it's sustained by constantly being fed by you, your attention. And it, there's never enough attention to satisfy the self because it's, 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 that's not the game. The game is that it has to have constant attention. The attention can't stop or it dies. So there's never enough. Can you see the problem there? You're on a treadmill that does not stop. You're, you're, you're on a, you're Sisyphus rolling the boulder up the mountain and then rolling it up again and then rolling it up again. It will never stop. The self will never be satisfied. And that's the problem. That's really the issue is that there is no possibility for contentment. There's no conclusion to it. It will consume everything that it can. <laughs> It will take all the attention it can get. It will grab all the power that it can. It's a, it's a, it's a monster that's out of control. And you're, you're trying to control it. You think being a good person is trying to control it. And we, we, you know, we mistake. There's a whole lot of teachings and medicines and practices and classes and workshops and books about becoming a better person and personal growth. And a lot of the time we, we think that means just getting a handle on our ego, you know, or improving this self-image, proving the self. It's, it's, a, it's a project that's gonna fail. It's already failed you multiple times and it's just gonna keep failing because that's not the solution. You're not getting the root. You're just pulling the tops. You're just putting out fires. You're just dealing with the symptoms. So one, one way to describe this self is it's, it's our desire for complete power, total power, complete sovereignty. It's our desire for we want to be in control of everything. It may not occur to you that way, but if you look at it, and you're honest with yourself, you'll see that that's what it is. It's the desire to, it's been said, I've, been, I've heard it described lots of different ways. One of them is to, to usurp the power of God. The ego is the idea of usurping the power of God, that I want to be all-powerful. I want it all. I want all power and control. It's the notion that I can get that. And in order to do that, we made a deal with the devil, you made a deal with the devil. You got this ego. You got this self. You got it. But in order to have all the power that, that the self promises, you have to take it from other people. You're competing with everybody else, and you have to end up dominating. 
you have to end up crushing everybody else in order to have that power. It's a terrible, terrible bargain. In order for the ego to be right, everybody else has to be wrong. In order for the ego to be good, other people have to be bad. It's a terrible predicament. It causes all kinds of problems. <laughs> and it doesn't ever end. You never get to have all the power because it's, it's just an illusion. It's just an appearance. The, the closest we came, you know, we could come to it is the, the idea of a sovereign or a monarch or an absolute ruler. And we've done that, you know, our human societies have done that for eons. We've had kings and queens and rulers and tyrants. And, and in our culture, you know, it's closest we get to that is presidents or prime ministers but there can only be one so it's it just look at the look at the dilemma that that creates we all want the power but there can only be one who has it and that person if they're honest they realize they don't have it nobody has it it's a it's a it's a bad bargain it was a bad idea and it's not working out and the reason is that you already the power that you're seeking is you have it within you. Unlimited power. It has nothing to do with anybody else's power. We can all have it. That's the promise here. That's the beauty of this, is that once you start to source your power from within you and feel what that means, we all want power. Don't fool yourself. Don't make power a bad word. It's only a bad word because of the way the ego uses it. But we, you need power, you need energy, you need a source. You can't run on empty. And right now, you're sourcing your power from other people, which is a terrible way to do it. It's not a good way to do it. So find the source of power within you. That's, the, that's really the quest. What other quest would there be? What would be more interesting or useful or necessary than that? Find the power in here. And that's what this practice is teaching you to do. And as you can see, it's hard. It's really hard. It's much easier to just try to get it from other people. <laughs> but it won't serve you. It won't satisfy you. And it won't work. This practice is actually, in reality, creating energy. It's an amazing thing about it. And you may be starting, hopefully you are starting to feel it. I know I am. I'm just sort of bouncing off the walls with energy. And it's great. It's amazing. And it's not because I drank a bunch of coffee or any other reason. It's because I'm not, it's not leaking out. When you sit and bring your mind to focus, when you bring your awareness into this present moment, you're conserving, you're storing, and you're building energy. And when you're lost in thought, when your mind is spinning out, creating the identity, the story of a self, you're draining out energy, just pouring out of you. So even though you feel like you may not be succeeding in this practice and your mind is still spinning out, the times when you've been able to bring it back and, and stay steady in the moment, energy is building. Often you won't feel it till you you won't feel it dramatically till the retreat's over. And you start to try to function again like in normal life and just realize, whoa, I got all this energy. 
creative energy, good energy, really positive, powerful energy. You're building it now. You can feel it. Usually on retreat, the, the need for sleep goes down. The mind is awake. It's energy. And it's not coming from food. I mean, yeah, we're eating food, but it's not that. And it's not coming from other people. Because we cut that off. It's coming from inside you. So notice it. Pay attention to it. It's beautiful. And it's what this practice brings us back to and reminds us of, that we are our own source of energy. We have it in us. All we really need to do is remove the blocks. You don't have to, you don't have to go get the energy. You don't, have to, you don't have to learn how to get the energy. You don't have to be good at getting the energy. You don't have to get something you don't already have. You just have to get, notice the blocks and let them go. And the major block is your thinking mind and your sense of self. The idea of a self is what's consuming all your energy because it, it needs your energy to survive. So it's just consuming it. The self, the idea of self is like a parasite that's living in you and it's got, it's got you convinced <laughs> to give it all your energy. I know that's an impossible thing to believe, and I'm not asking you to believe it, but I'm asking you to check it out. I'm asking you to look at it. You're inhabited by a parasitic illusion of a self, idea of a self, that thrives on your energy, and not just your energy, but all the people's energy around you. It requires all that energy to keep it going. And, and in this case, energy means attention. Where you put your attention, you're putting it on the self, and the self is making you do it because it believes you. It's got you to believe that if you don't do it, you're going to die. That's pretty. That's a pretty good, convincing argument, isn't it? It's really got you in a corner. If you don't give the self, your own self, the attention that it demands, it's you're going to die. That's what it says. That's what you believe. And it's got you, it's got your allegiance because it claims to be solving all your problems for you. It claims to be the one thing that's ensuring your survival is your is this thinking mind. It's the one thing that you can count on in this world. So so it has you believe. That's why you're so enamored with it. And your allegiance to it is so strong. And on this retreat, we're just saying, could you just set it aside for a moment? No. No, I can't set it aside for a moment. If I do, I'm going to die. I need it for my survival. That's how it's convinced you of it. So we're asking, I'm asking you, suggesting that you just experiment a little bit with it and just see what it's like to set it down and notice if, if you die or not. I know that's a big risk and I'm not... I'm I'm exaggerating it and putting it in terms to make it a little a little humorous, but that is what it feels like, and that is the risk, and that's why you don't you're not willing to do it. So another way to think of this idea of the self, which I'm I'm also calling ego, I think that's apparent by now. I'm interchanging those words. Is if you think of it like a computer virus. And it's this particular virus has you, it's got the most convincing argument that any 
thing could have, which is that it's convinced it's it's a it's a computer virus that's disguised itself as a computer virus protection program. So your ego has got you downloading it, thinking that this is what's going to keep your your system free and clear of viruses. If you're if you're in the days when I used to run Windows operating system on my computers, you had to have a virus protection program. And if you didn't have a virus protection program, um, you were going to hit by a virus. And if you got hit by a virus, you could lose everything. So it was really important. And, and you had to have download and update your virus protection program. Well, just imagine that that's similar sort of a setup inside your mind. And the, and the particular virus protection program that you're downloading has embedded in it the virus. What could be more brilliant than that? The virus that's causing the systems to unravel, that's causing the suffering, the virus that's causing the problem is hidden in the very program that you're using to protect yourself from it. The fox guarding the hen house. And that's why this is such a hard leap to take, to let go of your thought, to let go of your thinking mind for a moment. Because it has you convinced that the moment you do that, you're going to be, it's game over. The moment you do that, you're going to be attacked, you're going to be, you're going to be defenseless, you're going to be vulnerable, you're going to be hurt, you're going to be annihilated. So you have to, at some point, you have to face that choice, what appears to be a choice. You have to come to that edge. And every moment, I'm making this sound like it's epic and it's going to take place in some stunning landscape and you're going to come up to the edge and you're going to jump off the edge. It's much simpler than that. Tomorrow, tonight, the next time you sit down to meditate, when, when you notice yourself thinking, and you remember that you're meditating and the and the instruction is let go of the thought and you're and you're not able to let go of the thought that's the moment that's the leap we're doing this in little tiny leaps but each one is really significant it may not seem significant but every time you let go of a thought and come back to your breath the whole paradigm goes with it the whole notion of self goes with it that's why you can't stand it to be there for very long. Just a couple seconds later and the thought's right back, a new thought, because that vacuum, that vacancy without the self is really frightening. It's terrifying. It feels like free fall. And the suggestion is just try it out. I know that's you don't just try out free fall. <laughs> you either leap or you don't leap. And so... I'm really saying leap. But just know that at any moment, if it's too much, you just start thinking again. Nobody's stopping you from doing that. We didn't, we didn't collect your thinking mind in a basket. You still have it. We're just, I'm just suggesting to you that you not use it and see what happens. The last thing your, your ego wants you to see is that you have a light within you already. It's, it's, its role in your life is to bring 
you think, like light and energy. That's what the ego is for. That's what the self is for. It's to get things in the world, to do things in the world, to get what you need in the world. And if you, if it, it will never allow you to discover that you already have what you need inside you. That's the big dilemma. And that's why this practice is so powerful because it's directing you inside to feel your own source of energy. And as you do that, this is really where it gets really good. As you start, it's not, you don't have to rip away the ego and destroy it. You don't have to attack it. You don't have to go to war with the ego. You don't have to, you don't have to force anything. All you have to do is notice that you don't need it. Really, really get that you don't need it. That there's a source inside you already. Check in with your energy. Notice your body, how it feels. Stay with yourself. Stay with your sensations as you've been doing all day today. Notice the part of you that's hoping to get something, <laughs> maybe out of this talk. Just notice the leaning, the leaning into it. If you're doing that, if you're if you're hoping to get some sort of an answer or some sort of a direction. Just notice that. That's the ego looking for validation, looking for something to save it, something to rescue it. And the practice is you're on the way to finding that within yourself. I'll just see if you can stay balanced as I'm talking tonight. There's, there's nothing that I'm going to give you that takes the pressure off me and it takes the pressure off you. There's nothing I'm going to give you that you don't already have. Some of you have heard me say this before, and I always like to begin a retreat by talking about how, how to listen to a teaching. What is a teaching? One thing is that your mind is a little, hopefully, a little quieter. Your body's a little calmer. Your mind is a little quieter than in your normal daily life. And as a consequence of that, you receive ideas in a way that you wouldn't normally be able to do. You may be able to feel into a thought, a concept, an idea. That's why I suggested that sometimes reading those, the books that I put out when you're on retreat, when you're reading someone who's traveled this path and is describing their journey, and you're traveling that path as well, it, it can sink in. So the idea of an of a evening talk on a meditation retreat is that you might hear something in a new way. It might strike you in a, in a new way. And that's what, that's what the possibility is. 
the possibility is that my I'll say something there'll be a there'll be a way that words come out of my mouth that form an idea that strikes a chord in you touches something in you makes something in you come alive that's what you're preparing yourself for by clearing your mind coming into your body watch your mind as i'm talking tonight watch your mind doing its thing right processing the information that i'm giving you comparing it evaluating it thinking about it reacting to it watch your mind doing all that trying to figure out if you if you like it if you don't like it if it's right if it's wrong if it's true watch your mind doing all that as i'm talking and notice that that's the same way that you've been approaching meditation today it's the only way that we we know how to approach anything is through the thinking mind and the thinking mind has to wrestle with it has to try to understand it and we think that's how we do things so here on retreat you're learning and practicing a really different way of doing things which is not with your thinking mind right i've been encouraging you and by doing the practice all day you've been tasting at least a different way to approach learning a different way to approach growing and changing not by your thinking mind understanding it but by some other means it's a little hard to put into words i'll attempt to do that in these talks so tonight when you're listening to the talk notice your mind trying to comprehend it trying to compare it trying to decide if it's true or not and see if you can just let that go the only the only thing that will help you the only thing that would ever help you is when you recognize and you remember the truth that's that's inside of you and it's it's like a bell ringing it's like a a a string on a guitar being plucked it resonates yeah so and if it and if my words aren't resonating if the ideas aren't resonating just let them go doesn't matter so we when we did our circle check in last night several of you mentioned two of the two of the notions that stuck with me are when you were expressing your intention for this retreat one that i remember was wanting to remember what's important wanting to come back to what's important and another was wanting to know what's real this practice this very simple meditation practice which is can be summed up simply as coming to your senses you've been practicing coming back to your senses literally that's what you've been doing when when you're lost in a thought if you're doing the practice you notice the thinking you notice the thought you <laughs> resist the temptation to get involved with it or maybe you're already involved with it and then you sort of snap out of it you kind of wake up out of that thought and you remember oh i'm meditating i'm on retreat i'm meditating or i'm supposed to be meditating and if you're doing the practice you just simply let the thought go interrupt the thought you let it go and you find the physical sensation the body breathing the belly moving in and out with the breath something that's actually occurring or if you're in walking meditation you you find the sensation of your feet against the floor and what's often known as mindfulness practice is taking that um awareness of body sensation into all the things that you do and being on retreat this is a really good opportunity to practice that so not to make your life here on retreat stiff and scripted but everything you do here try to be present with it feel the sensation of it 
right? Feel the physical sensation of it. Eating food, what's the physical sensation? The smell, the taste, the feeling of the food going down your esophagus into your stomach, the feeling of the food digesting in your stomach. What's that feel like? Not is it, not, not what do you think about it? Is it good or bad or, or do you like it or not like it? That's not what I mean. What does it feel like? What's the sensation of it? What's the sensation of walking outside today? That gorgeous sunshine and the beautiful breeze, the sounds of nature, things you saw out there if you went outside. What's the sensation of it? You can do that throughout the day as you're on retreat, and it's really helpful. This is a really good place to practice that level of mindfulness. And that's what I call coming to your senses. You're coming back into your body. You're coming back to your senses. You're, it, feels like you're, you're, it often feels like you're going backward, like you're stepping back into a, a simpler existence, maybe a, you know, like a baby, toddler kind of existence where it's all just senses. And there's resistance to that. We talked about the resistance some yesterday. It seems too simple. It seems too not, not important. What's important about the senses? How could that be important? <laughs> it's the thinking that's important. That's, that's our delusion. That's our, you know, that's our assumption that all the important stuff happens up in the thinking mind. Those complex thoughts, those, that array of capacity to put together ideas and images. It fascinates us. We think that's the important stuff. And if you've made it this far, if you come to a retreat and you're putting yourself through this, it's, it's probable that, you, that you, you're disillusioned with your thinking mind. You're disillusioned with the way of trying to be in the world that way, trying to figure it out with your head. Something about that isn't working for you. So you're, you're here to try something different, and this is something very different. This is a very different... It's learning to use a very different muscle, isn't it? The muscle of feeling, sensing. So one, one way to make this really practical is that in the quest of what's real, in the quest of what's important, the simple practice of bringing your awareness, bringing your attention back to a sensation that's actually happening in this moment. It's not about the sensation, right? It's not about the breath. It's not a good breath or a bad breath. Or there's, no, there's no significance in the breath. It just happens to be an, an automatic process. Your body breathes. It can't not breathe. It will breathe. And there's a movement. There's a sensation that you can feel. So it's an automatic, continuous process that you can feel. So it's just a place to bring your attention that's real, that's actual. The body is actually breathing. You can feel it. How do you know you can feel it, right? When you go outside, the sun is shining. You can feel it. The wind is blowing. You can feel it. The frogs are chirping. You can hear them. <laughs> Those are actually happening. Those are real things that are happening. What's not real is your thoughts. The, the mind is thinking. Okay, that's real. That's happening. The mind is thinking. But the content of your thoughts, all those amazing ideas that are so hard to let go of and put down, the, the, you know, the, the struggle you've been having today to just let go of the thinking mind, it's not easy because it's so fascinating. 
It's so, it's so beautiful and complex and powerful, the th thinking mind. But the thoughts themselves are not real. They're stuff you made up. All of it. Just, just consider that for a moment. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with your mind or you're not a good thinker. <laughs> this isn't a judgment about you. It's, a, it's a, just an observation that thoughts are not real. They're ideas, they're images. It's your mind processing real experiences and, and turning them into notions, ideas, conclusions, judgments, right? Fragments of memories. When your mind is remembering, it seems like you're remembering something that, the way it happened, but you're not. And, and you know that. You know, you know how your mind distorts memory. I think all of you have paid attention enough to your, to your memories to notice that. And when you imagine the future, it's complete projection. It's complete imagination. You don't know what it's going to be. So the content of your thoughts is stuff you made up. And as such, it's, it's not ever going to satisfy us the way something real can satisfy you. It's always going to leave you with a sense that you're not experiencing what's real. <laughs> You're looking, through, you're looking through a colored lens, the colored lens of your thinking mind. And that's exactly what's happening. You're, you're experiencing your life through the filter of your thinking mind. It doesn't, it's not obvious. It's not apparent. It doesn't seem that way because you've been doing it for so long. It's your habit. It's what you do. It's how your mind works. And what you're doing in meditation is you're dropping that. Just for a moment, just think of it as an experiment. You're not going to lose it. You're not going to kill it. You don't need to kill it. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with your thinking mind. It's that it's, it's distorting your experience, always, continuously. And that distortion is, is inherently unsatisfying because it's not actual, it's not real. So what we're doing, what you're doing here by this sort of gradually slow process of bringing your attention back into something that's actually happening, something that's going on in this moment, is you're touching something that's real. You're feeling something that's actually occurring. And that is satisfying. Not at first. At first it, it seems meaningless, pointless, inconsequential, trivial. Breath just happens. It's over and over and over again. Why would I want to pay attention to the breath? There's nothing there. There's no... <laughs> nothing to learn. There's nothing, nothing new. There's nothing complex about it that I can study and become an expert on. So it's boring. It's, it's trivial. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't seem to be important. But as you do this practice, you start to notice that there's, a, there's something real there. There's, a, there's something solid there. There's something substantial in your senses, in the present moment. Something you can start to steady your mind on. Something you can count on. Something that's always going to be there. Your senses. Your ability to feel, touch, smell, taste, hear. Consciousness. The ability to be aware. Even if all your senses go, there's still you being aware. There's, there's something there. There's something that's aware. There's something that has that ability to notice. And as you do the practice, you're increasing that. 
you you're cultivating that it's not you're not it's not a new thing it's in you you have it it's inherent in you but you're you haven't been using it most of us haven't been using it much so it sort of it sort of fades into the background to the point where we don't even notice it so what you're doing in in meditation is you're bringing that simple awareness presence into the into the front and center and you're letting your thinking mind fade into the background one reason that life can feel uh, confusing, um, unsatisfactory, frustrating, overwhelming, um, hopeless, impossible, is that your mind is not steady. Your thinking mind is not steady. It changes all the time. Your mind changes all the time. If that wasn't apparent to you before today, it's surely apparent to you now. That thinking mind that you know, seems to be so brilliant sometimes and so capable of, of guiding you and directing you, it's not steady. It's anything but steady. It's all over the place, isn't it? And you watched it today <laughs> over and over and over again. That's what you did today. You watched your unsteady mind and you saw how chaotic it is and arbitrary and, and fickle and trivial. The thoughts, look at all those thoughts that came and went today. Some, some possibly had you know, some substance that really meant something to you, some, some insights maybe, some, you know, some awarenesses, some new perspectives, of course. But many, many, many of those thoughts were just trivia, just fragments of memories for no reason and imagining what's going to happen next in your future over and over and over again. And then just changing and changing and changing and switching. So no steadiness there. That's, that's a, a, a really helpful thing to notice when you're on retreat is it, it's, if you're looking to your thinking mind for stability, you're, you're lost. It's not going to give you that. And we are. We look to our thinking mind to guide us. We look to our thinking mind to define the world for us. We look, for, we look to our thinking mind to decipher reality for us. It's our main tool that we use. And, and it's really important that you, to, if, if you're on a path of realizing what's true, and finding peace and happiness, it's really important to see that your thinking mind isn't going to do that for you. It's not capable of it. It's, it's, it's not steady. And as a consequence of the, the importance that you give to your thinking mind and how you depend on it, how you look to it to guide you, your life doesn't feel steady. You just, you know, how often in life do you just feel like you're just a, you're just a little tiny boat on a big ocean just being swept this way and that way and just you know all kinds of uh, threatening situations threatening to knock you over and sink you that's that's most of our experience of life most of us not all the time and not not all of us but quite a bit is where we feel very vulnerable fragile buffeted about by life we get we build defenses so that you know to try to protect <laughs> what little what little we have left after life sort of rips, rips at it and knocks us over and 
throws obstacles in our way and, and takes away the things that we love. All you know, we're just we're just battered around, and it's really uh, frustrating and it's very uh, painful. Yeah. It's it's that's intolerable, and we try all kinds of things to to deal with that, to to make it not so, to kind of give ourselves a, a sense of certainty about something and firmness about something. But it, you know, many of many of the things we try are temporary fixes. They don't they don't sustain. They don't work in the long run. So here you're trying something different, and all of you been been trying this for a while. This thing called meditation. And it's good for that. It's it's you're on the right track, in my in my opinion. Um, this is a way to steady your mind. This is a way to find an anchor, a a, a still point, steadiness. And as your mind steadies, and I, you know, you may have had moments today when it felt this way, and maybe not. And, but you've got days ahead of you now to keep practicing. And the more you practice coming to your senses, bringing your attention into the present moment and feeling what's actually happening, just noticing what's actually happening in this moment, a steadiness starts to occur. It's gradual. It takes time. It takes practice. You have to really be devoted to it. You have to give it the time and, and you have to make the effort to bring your attention back. But gradually, you'll start to notice there's a steadiness there. There's something you can count on. Suddenly, your energy's not going in all different directions at once. It's all right here now. You can bring it into this moment. With anything you're doing, you can bring all of your focus into this moment. And the consequence of that will be this, this steadiness. And that's what's been, you know, that's what's been missing. That's what, that's what you're longing for. And you're, you can find it here. You can cultivate it. You can practice it. And then it, be, it starts to become a habit. It starts to become, you prefer that to thinking. You, you see, you, you start to, and if the main thing you can do now is just notice the difference. Notice when you're in your thinking mind how it just is like a roller coaster ride, isn't it? It's up, 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 and then it's down, down, down. I'm, I'm the hero. I'm the hero. I did really well, and I'm the villain. I hor, I did horrible things. It's up and down and up and down. It's just no stability, no steadiness in it. And when you attach to that thinking mind, which is your habit, it's, it's, it's not, it's not happening to you. You're attaching to it. You're grabbing the thinking mind. That's, that's a big part of this practice is to see that when a thought comes, you have a choice whether to grab a hold of it or not. It doesn't seem like that, but that's what practice will, that's what meditation practice can show you. It's one of the most valuable things you can learn is that you have a choice whether to engage with a thought. Before I started meditating, I, I had no idea that I had that choice. And I was, I knew that my mind was driving me nuts. I knew it. I could tell that I couldn't focus. I, it was chaos inside my head. I was trying to figure everything out and, and really, you know, devoted to thinking. I was, thinking was my religion. I was totally devoted to it. 
and it was driving me crazy. It was, it was, I could tell that it was causing the problems. It wasn't solving them, it was causing them. I could feel that somehow, I just knew it, and I didn't know what to do about it. I had no idea what to do about it. And I didn't find anything that felt like it would help me until I found meditation. And, the, and I found it in a, in a Buddhist monastery, so it came with the teachings of the Buddha. And both those together were enormously helpful to me in, in dealing with my mind and recognizing that my mind was the cause of my discomfort and frustration and suffering. That it was my mind was making, you know, attaching to my mind meant that my life was just out of control. So the remedy, the antidote, is detaching from your mind. And it's just, it's, it's simple, it's, it's a simple detachment, it's a, it's a simple motion of letting go, it's not complicated, it just happens to be one of the most difficult things that we can do, because we're so attached to our thinking mind. We're so conditioned to um, grab a hold of those thoughts as they go by. It's so tempting. It's our. It's. I'm going to talk in later this week in other talks about what you know, what your mind is up to and why it's so compelling. But just notice that it is, and so this simple idea of detaching from the mind is is one of the most difficult things that you've ever done. Certainly one of the most difficult things I've ever done. In fact, it seems impossible that you try to come back to the breath or pay attention to physical body sensations like walking and then split second later you're off in thought over and over and over again. You try to bring your mind back and it goes off in thought. It's just an addiction. I don't mean to, I don't mean to minimize it. Addictions are hard. But that's all it is, is it's just a habit, a really ingrained habit, thinking. And so what, what you're trying here is learning to let go of thinking. You're just, you're just experimenting with that. Who am I without my thoughts? What is my experience without the filter of my thinking mind? That's what you're here to explore and be curious about and find out. And what turns out to be true is that when you're in the present moment, when you're feeling a sensation and that's all that's happening and you haven't jumped into the thought about that sensation, you're just feeling the sensation, belly rising, belly falling, you're just with the breath, the sensation of the breath. You're not ahead of it thinking about the next breath. You're not behind it thinking about the last breath. You're right with this moment. Notice the certainty, the stability. Notice that. It's right there. It's easy to miss, <laughs> but it's right there. There's a peacefulness. There's a certainty. There's a, there's a steadiness that you won't ever find in your think, thinking mind. And it's helpful to see the contrast. That's how you're going to get this. That's how you're going to finally really want to unplug from your thinking mind or lose interest in your thinking mind because you start to notice the, that you feel good in the present moment. <laughs> I think someone said it last night, nothing bad happens in the present moment. That's a really good way to say it. 
All the bad things happen in the past or the future. They just happened or they're about to happen. But right in this moment, it's okay. E even if there's pain, if you're, if you're present with the pain, notice that. This is something you can experiment with. Um, sitting for this long periods of time, inevitably the body has pain. It, it, it does get better the more you do it. I've been sitting long enough that there isn't a whole lot of body pain anymore. So it does get better, but surely along the way there's pain. Notice what happens if you just with the sensation of the pain, not thinking about the pain, not interacting with the pain with your thinking mind, which is a very hard thing not to do. But if you're doing the practice, just being with the sensation, put your attention, your pure raw attention right on the pain, what you're calling pain, the sensation of it, and notice the sensation of it. There's, there's, there's inevitably going to be pain in your, in a body. The body has nerves. Things are going to hurt sometimes. But when you're with the pain as just a sensation, and you're not attaching a story to the pain, it's okay. It's not that bad. <laughs> it's just a sensation, and it changes. It moves. Like all sensations, it comes and it goes. Much easier to deal with pain if you can be with it directly in that way. So noticing the, the sense of steadiness, the sense of peace, the sense of certainty that comes with you putting your awareness in this moment, on a sensation in this moment. And don't make it about the sensation. It doesn't matter what you're paying attention to. What matters is that it's actually happening. It's not, it's not your mind making an idea about it. And then notice your mind making the idea about it and just note it, note it as thinking. Mind is thinking. <laughs> it's a little movie going on. Okay. And then come back to the sensation. And, and notice what starts to happen as you do that more and more. I know that uh, at a long, after a long day of meditation, it can feel like it's been a struggle. And it can feel, you know, kind of like you've been beat up all day. Your body's been beat up and your mind has been beat up. And, and I, know, I know it's, um, in that sense, it can be really difficult. But what you're, you have an opportunity to learn here that's really important is to see the difference between the thought that overlays, the mind overlays the thought onto an experience and the raw experience. You can just start to feel the difference. And notice when you're in paying attention to the thought and you're wrapped up in that thought, consumed by that thought, and notice when you're in the sensation. One way and way to tell that the thoughts are not real, very simple test you can put them to, is what happens when you bring, take your attention away from them? What happens when you take your attention away from a thought? By now, hopefully you've seen it many, many times. And if you haven't framed it in that way next time you you know any 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 moment right now or at any future moment when you're meditating or doing anything else notice what happens when you take your attention away from a thought where did, what happens to the thought poof it's gone it was never real it's not there it was in your mind it was in your imagination no no nothing wrong with that it's just not real a physical body sensation, on the other hand, if you take your attention away from it, you may not notice it. You may not be aware that you're breathing. Most of us, until we do meditation practice, we're not aware of our breathing at all. We're not aware of many sensations around us. We kind of go numb in that way. So, but the physical sensations are there. 
when you take your attention away from them. They're still there. They don't go anywhere. They're real. So this is a practice of noticing what's actually occurring. The, the term that's, one of the terms that the Buddha used in the language that he, of his time, is, was vipassana, which translates into English as to see things as they are, to see what's real, to see things as they're actually occurring. And it's simple, but it takes practice because we're, we're used to seeing how, what our mind thinks about it, not what's actually happening. So you're taking off that layer, that extra layer. You're taking off that filter. You're, you're, you're accessing raw, unfiltered experience. That's what you're doing on retreat. And at first, it may not seem like much, but as you do it, you'll start to notice that raw, unfiltered experience feels really good, mostly. It's pleasant, it, it feels good, it's, it's satisfying, and there's a steadiness in it. When you're in your body and you're feeling your senses, there's a steadiness in it. It's like you're in your center again. You found your center. And that steadiness is really good. It's something you can, you can carry with you when you leave here. It's something you can take out into the world with you. And it will serve you tremendously when things get chaotic or overwhelming, when you're confused or, or frightened or anxious, when you're sad or hurt, grieving, you can go to your breath. You can find, come to your senses and you'll, you'll notice that steadiness there that doesn't make the experience go away, but it, it gives you a place to be with it, it gives you a platform, a, a steadiness where you can relate to it and, and the experiences don't consume you. One of my teachers in this tradition is a, is a Buddhist monk um, named Ajahn Suchito, who is an Englishman who went to Thailand when he was a young man and fell in love with meditation and became a, a monastic. And now he's um, abbot of a small monastery in England. And I had the really good fortune of sitting with him many times. And I've been to his monastery to sit with him there. And they t he told a story once about a, a local woman, an Englishwoman, who would ride her bike to the monastery to sit with the monks. A lot of local people did recognize this guy is a really good teacher and, and the monastery is a really good place to meditate. So when they would hold public talks or sittings, people would come and this one local woman would ride her bike and frequent, frequent the monastery. So they knew her and, and she knew them. And one day, I don't know if she was coming back and forth to the monastery, but she was riding her bicycle and she got hit by a car. And it was major injury, major trauma. She had a brain head, head injury. She, I guess she got knocked over and probably wasn't wearing a helmet and hit her, hit her head. And they, you know, she was, I don't know if she was unconscious, I assume she was, but she was down and she was taken, someone found her and she was taken in an ambulance, taken to the hospital and treated in, in whatever way. Um, and she recovered. And the doctors that were working with her said it was, it was a miracle, that she had a very, very serious brain injury and that it was doubtful. They, they thought it was doubtful that she'd live. And after she got through it and was able to communicate again and, and sort of get her faculties back, she talked to my teacher about that. And she said when, when she got hit, she went, her, her attention, her energy went inside. She went into her body. She didn't, she didn't go into thought 
or the panic, you know, the fear thoughts. She didn't go into story. She went into her body. She went into the senses. And she said she just found a place deep down in there where she could feel herself, which is what you're doing in practice, in meditation practice, is you're finding that place deep down within you that you can feel yourself. That's what you're doing. You're finding it. You're locating it. And, that's, and she'd done enough practice that she could do that. It's a really it's an amazing thing about practice. The more meditation you do, the, the, the better able you are to find that sort of core place inside you, that place that doesn't move, that place that's steady, that's stable, that's constant, that's always there. And she went there. She said to, to my teacher, I just went there. I knew I had to go there. <laughs> I knew my life depended on it. And she said she just went there and she waited. So it's really valuable steadying yourself in this way. Coming to your senses, it's really valuable. It will serve you in many, many, many ways in life. And the practice we do here in this really intensive form for days in a row is meant to you know, help you get through the resistance you have to doing this. We talked about that last night just... Deep, deep surrender, and then surrender more, and then surrender more, and let go more. It's really the, just like that. It's just surrender, and, and then more surrender, and more surrender. And you're just shedding these layers of resistance to letting go. And so it's really helpful to practice this for days at a time, to stay in this really specialized, contained environment safe environment. We talked about that last night. There's safety here. It's a very, very predictable environment, right? What happened today is going to happen tomorrow, <laughs> and it's going to happen the next day, and nothing. Not, there's not going to be much change. Maybe the food will be a little different. Maybe the weather will be a little bit different. Your, of course, your experiences of your meditations are going to be different, but the setting is not going to be different. And there's some safety in that. You don't have to wonder if, if you're going to have food or a warm place to be or a place to sleep. It's all taken care of for you. So you can, you can, this is an opportunity to surrender. It's designed for that, right? It's designed to help you just let go and let go and let go. You don't have to know what day it is. You don't have to know what time it is. You don't have to do anything much to take care of yourself. Just basic things, getting dressed, washing, brushing your teeth, eating, showering, going to the bathroom. There's just simple things you need to do and you can let go of everything else and see how, just see how, see if you can let go of the past and the future. See if you can surrender your future. Just not know what's going to happen next. Just let this moment be be enough. See if you can surrender your past. Just let it go. Whatever you whatever you think or say or believe about the past, it's gone. In this intensive retreat environment, of course, it's you know it's hard because because it's boring. <laughs> nothing happens. Nothing exciting happens. Nothing new happens. But it's designed that way really intentionally so you can allow each moment to just be enough and not. Expect something else. Not get ahead of yourself. Not anticipate. You're, you're learning to just let this moment be enough and not anticipate the next moment. And to, to facilitate that, we've kind of flatlined everything. It's just boring. It's neutral. <laughs> nothing exciting. So there's nothing to look forward to here. It's just going to be the same thing for a couple days now. So let see if you can work with that and sink into that. 
because it's designed very specifically so that you can appreciate each this moment now. It's not there's not, nothing new and exciting to look forward to. It's just another it's just going to be another moment like this one. So why not take this one? <laughs> why, why not have this moment? Let this moment be good. Why not? Let it be enough. Let this breath be all you need. Just try that. Play with it. Be simple. Become simple. And just notice notice what happens. It's not, it's not the evil thing that your mind thinks it is. So just deeper and deeper surrender. Trust the environment. Trust each other. We've agreed not to harm each other here. And just stretch yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Don't, don't push yourself. But just stretch a little bit. It's a little deeper letting go little deeper willingness to let go of that thought and then that thought a willingness to not know about the future that's a big one just i let when the idea of future comes up you just say i don't know i don't know what it's going to be and to not have to figure out the past i don't know what that was <laughs> all that stuff that happened i don't know what it was i just don't know and see how that feels at first it feels uncomfortable but gradually it feels really liberating. And all you need to know is this moment, the sensations in this moment come to your senses. Now in this moment, that's the time to do it. See if you can trust that, that that's all you need to know. And this is a good place to experiment with it. Because what's the worst that can happen? Not Probably not much. <laughs>